talk about what we're gonna. We didn't even we didn't even have the opportunity to like set up the show. We didn't. I know we got so, uh, <laughs> we got so busy talking about other things. We didn't talk about the show at all for the last fifteen minutes. But here, but here we are. We're live, so it should be interesting. So yeah, hey, welcome everybody to Bible and Banter. Uh, welcome, uh, grateful to be with you. Last week I was off, and I got like a text from Robin, um, like as the show was going on, because I was working on something else. I I was just inundated with stuff last week, which is like, hey, is everything okay? Why aren't you on the show? And I told her I got <laughs> fired. So <laughs> from the all, show. First of all, it's impossible for the boss to get fired. I so. am not the boss. I'm just the I'm I'm just the guy who you know makes sure somebody's going to be on the show. Eric, when it comes to Bible and banter, you are the alpha and the omega, my friend. Oh, my. I hope not. I hope I'm neither of those things. <laughs> I didn't say you were a lord or anything like that. Uh, <sighs> but, no, it is funny the difference between you being off a week and me being off because you still listened and commented. If I'm not actually on the show, I, I don't listen. I, I don't. It probably says something <laughs> terrible about uh, my egomania, but. Yeah, it's, it does. Impress- it's impressive that even on the weeks that you're off, you you still listen and participate. Well, I u- I usually have to like listen to make sure I don't have to apologize for something that you've said. <laughs> How'd that go this time? Uh, you guys did fine. I didn't have to apologize for you guys, for you especially. I think um, I think Mike tames me a little bit. He's just he, he's so he's so. Uh, soft and reasonable that i have to i have to take it down a notch well mike mike might be he might be he i don't know if he's soft soft Um, is the wrong word he is yeah he's level yeah he is level but he's also very pointed in ways like did Mm -hmm. i i'm shared on facebook like i listened to his sermon this past sunday and it was straight fire man like dude preaches so if you can go go follow blessed hope uh something i don't know what the whole blessed hope church up in uh waterville and um yeah his sermon was just on fire man i think i got saved about three times in the midst of it it was good (laughs) so clearly mike did not teach on the nature of salvation in that particular sermon no no he didn't he didn't i got saved all over again because of mike (laughs) it was it was great man but no he uh no, I forget some of the specifics, but just I really appreciate the way that the that he, um, I don't know, he just kind of started and was like he was very pointed with his congregation, mm-hmm. like he he warned them, like listen, I'm bringing the heat, and he mm-hmm. did. Uh, so I'm sure I'm sure the people there are blessed to have them. They're happy. Maybe uh, maybe someone I can't do it because I'm streaming from an iPad instead of a computer this week, but maybe someone could even drop the link to their Facebook page in the comment section. Maybe Mike can do that a little self-promotion. Oh, boom. He just did it. I like it. Boom. Shakalaka. Awesome. So yeah, go, go follow blessed hope church, man. I don't know. Uh, I don't, if, if you're not already, I don't know why you're not. Your comments about getting saved multiple times in the sermon has now inspired me to tell a quick, somewhat related story. So we had something pretty exciting happen, happen in our congregation this week, which is that we had a young lady in our church um, uh, experience conversion. She repented and placed faith in Jesus for the, for the forgiveness of her sins for the first time, which is amazing. And it means that very soon she'll be baptized. So mm. I was uh, I was talking with her and saying, 
So do you have any thoughts? Do you, do you or your parents have any thoughts about when you might want to do that? And she goes, I really want to get uh, baptized with my friend, who's another young woman in the church. Um, and I go, oh, yeah, go grab her. And we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> and her friend walks in and I go, wait, have you been baptized already? And she goes, yeah, but it's been a few years. <laughs> so then, <laughs> then I had to explain no, we're not going to rebaptize you just because it's been a few years. That's not how baptism works. <laughs> yeah, that's cute. That's funny. That's a funny story. Yeah, but I, had see, a, I had a soldier when I was in the army when he knew I was studying to become a pastor. He was like, he was telling me he's actually from the area that I'm pastoring now, uh, mm-hmm. which is funny. But he told me like his mom would would get him baptized like usually once a year. He said by the time he graduated <laughs> high school, he was like, he, he's like, yeah, I've been baptized like 12, 13 times. And I said, so what did what happened? Did the first one not take? Like what? Like now, I don't understand this. Now is baptism like a double negative? Where if you get baptized the second time, it undoes the first one, but then if you do it again. Is this is this like multiplying positive and negative integers? Uh, sorry, man. I you know I wasn't valedictorian, so I don't know what <laughs> I don't know how to follow this this trend of logic. Um, no, but I mean that goes to that goes to the importance of like how we you know instructing people on like what baptism is, right? Right. So so we're kind of having this conversation before we came on air. We we're talking because there was a uh, a pretty lengthy. Facebook conversation that we had mm-hmm. um, or thread that, um, you know, you and I started talking about like, what well, you have to define terms, right? So someone, mm-hmm. you know, is mostly about creeds and, um, you know, someone had said, well, you know, the only, the only uh, essential thing that binds us together is Christian character. And I asked, well, define Christian character. And they said, well, look at the explicit commands of scripture. Do not murder. Right. And like my first, my first reaction was some, somebody messaged me. and was like, yeah, define murder. Right. And you right. go like, well, you can't define if like, based on their train of logic, you can't define murder any further than thou shall not murder. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those things. Like even with baptism, you have to define like, what does your church believe? What is the, what is your right. church? Uh, what is their stance on baptism? And it's, and it's uh, what does it do? What it what does it symbolize? So some people believe that baptism is salvific, right. um, and others believe, like I do, that it's not salvific, but it's it's a it's following the Lord's command to be baptized and symbolizes our unity with Him and His life, death, and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, but somebody who thinks it has salvific work, yeah, why not uh, multiply those baptisms, man? The more, the merrier. <laughs> you know, what's funny is. Uh... Your, your logic makes sense to me, but I don't know any um, people who believe in salvific baptism who actually would say, make sure you do it more than once to cover your bases. <laughs> I, I, like <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think they come to the opposite conclusion uh, because they would say that because baptism is a salvific, a salvific event, in some ways it almost, I don't want to misrepresent them, but in some ways it almost doesn't matter as much um if you knew what it meant at the time it's the ritual Mm -hmm. itself that Mm -hmm. does the work so yeah 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 um matt rice says first major church controversy was over baptism and re-entrance into the body so great intentional intro luke uh matt so matt is you know for those who don't know our associate pastor here and he i mean dude matt is so smart when it comes to church history he's a historian by trade like mm-hmm. he, he that's he has a bachelor's and master's degree in history and um 
and recently he's been taking a lot of early church history courses uh, at Gordon Conwell. And man, whenever I get to sit down and talk with Matt and him share some stuff, oh my goodness, he is he is infinitely smarter than I am when it comes to. And, and you want to talk about hot hot takes on creeds? Talk to Matt Rice. <laughs> uh, th- that brother knows the creeds. He's he's been studying with uh, with Don Fairbairn, who's a professor over at Gordon Conwell. Who that's his specialty: uh, the early church fathers and the creeds, and um, mm-hmm. fascinating stuff. I'm actually I just started reading a book by him called "The Story of Creeds and Confessions." I highly, highly, highly recommend it. He uses this uh, this illustration of of the creeds as being blueprints for us today and, and what it's like to, you know, it's almost like when you forsake the, the ecumenical creeds um, that essentially you're trying to build a house with no blue, no blueprints. And um, then like, once you build it and you're like, wow, but what, but, but what do you, and this is something that I think we're learning together by having these dialogues. What response do we have to people who would say, and there's a part of me that wants to agree with this. The Bible is a blueprint. So the Bible uh, isn't the blueprint for it. It's the source, right? So it's mm-hmm. God's, it's God's word to us. So it's, it's, so we have this source in which we're constructing the house of how we understand what he's saying. Um, mm-hmm. But the people who've come before us um, were the ones who really helped lay out the blueprint. So like we're, it's almost like why 2000 years later to why recreate the wheel on, on some of these things. Now, obviously there, there are ways that different Christians have um, gone different ways throughout the centuries, Mm -hmm. but kind of from the beginning, this was, you know, they sat down, they found, you know, the, the ecumenical councils got together. The reason reasons they were formed was, Hey, here's a, here's a controversy let's let's hash it out and they bring right. like several hundred bishops who oversaw you know um dozens or hundreds of churches so they would come together they would hash it out and and they would declare well this is what the this is what god teaches through his word um and then some people are going to say well the bible wasn't even the canon the bible wasn't canonized by them pause time uh, okay, out for a minute Time out, because we should tell our audience before we continue. I like where this is going, but just a warning for our audience. This is potpourri day. So Eric and I are just going to talk about whatever we want. Okay. I just, I just wanted, I wanted, we're like 10 minutes in. I don't know if we said that. So I wanted to <laughs> warn people what was happening today. Well, part, and, and part of the reason why we're doing uh, potpourri this week is that we are going to be off air next week. So uh, the three of us, the three amigos are going to get together and, um, scheme, hammer plot, out some stuff. Uh, uh, talk about the future overthrow of our. Never mind. I was about to say something that I was going to regret, but I didn't say it. You know, that's a real that's a real point of that's a real area of growth for me that I attribute to this show. Is uh, everything I say is public, so I have to be careful what I say. No, I. I, I think the all the things that you're saying are um, true and helpful. I think, too, I do have a little bit of an Advent Christian streak. Uh, and by Advent Christian, I don't just mean adhering to, to Advent Christian um, doctrine, but also adhering a little bit to some of that Advent Christian tradition, which I agree with you is 
harmful. Uh, but there is a part of me that that wants to sort of uh, revolt against what you just said and say, well, what if all those people were wrong? What if Augustine and uh, Aquinas and and it, it's a tough balance because there is there is a certain degree to which the very existence of our denomination does depend on a certain level of of liberty of conscience, where some of the things that we believe, like, for example, conditional immortality, while there were there were little strains of it that we can find uh, in in the history of the church. And while people like Chris Date would make the argument that that was originally the, the widely held belief for most of Christian history, the the view of hell of, as eternal conscious torment was by far the majority position. And it was held by highly respected theologians of Christian history. And yet we reject their ideas. And so I it's tough to it's tough to sort through that. However, I'll say this. I think the solution is not to do none of the sorting. Right. There -hmm. are two extremes you can take in this direction, where on the one hand, you can do what the Catholics do and just accept whatever stream of church tradition you choose as um, equal in authority alongside the Bible. Or to your point, you can just throw out the baby with the bathwater and say no Christian in, in any of the past 2,000 years has had anything helpful to say to our understanding of the Bible. And I think either of those extremes is clearly wrong. Um, where in the middle we should fall, I don't know. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> you know, you can't, Lou Going wrote a great article last year called there and back again, which is a great mm-hmm. <laughs> illustration, you know, referring to uh, Bilbo Baggins in, in um, the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, you know, he talks about in like his own, his own blind spots that he created because of his, like l- of his admiring certain theologians and going like, man, mm-hmm. this guy's really smart. And I love the way he writes. He must be right about this. Yep. Um, and that's the wrong the wrong tack to make. Right. So right. for him, he really admired all the professors he had at Berkshire and then just took conditional mortality and said, Oh, I believe it. And then came to a certain point and was like, ah, now I'm not so sure. Right. So, um, and then for a while, um, he was a non-conditionalist. So, um, you know, he kind of tried to figure, figure that out. And he shares that story. You can look it up on the, on, um, ever Christian voices, so we want to be careful not to say like, well, Augustine said this, therefore, right. um, therefore it's, it's the truth. Um, Augustine is incredibly insightful, probably the best theologian um, throughout the history of the church. Um, but he's but fallible. We ha- but he's fallible. He is. He yeah. is. He is absolutely fallible. Um, so when you look to the early church, it, it's important for us. And, and I've had this conversation recently. It, uh, the church's ignorance to its own history only hurts it and it's harmful. Um, so for many, like maybe even within our circles, um, th- they look at, well, the church began with William Miller, right? Like, like there was, there was Jesus and the apostles. There's the book of Acts and then William Miller. And you know, it's like, you know no, funny, no. What's funny is in that way, we actually do have some uh, unfortunate similarities with our, ugly step cousins, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists, because it's the same kind of an attitude of uh, this is legitimate Christianity, and it was what the apostles believed, but no one between the apostles and us 1,800 years later 
believed it. Yeah, and that's yeah. why that's like why in my Facebook post I said, "Hey, a rejection of the creeds is like the height of arrogance." And 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 I meant that in the most I, I meant that in a winsome way. And like you and I talked about this before we came on air. <laughs> I because meant, I, meant, the, I meant to because the circles you. I like like I run in I run in a bunch of different circles, right? Mm-hmm. So like within Advent Christian circles, that's that's like the height of heresy to say something like that, right? But like in the other circles I run in, that's like a no duh statement. Like that's not controversial. Right. Um, mostly because a lot of the other circles I run in, um, whether it's Lutheran circles, Reformed circles, but even Arminian circles, mm-hmm. um, where but who who have a, a great appreciation for the history of the church, they go, mm-hmm. yeah, of course. Like that. Like these right. are foundational documents. It's not that these documents are divinely inspired. But we believe that the the Holy Spirit illumined for um, for those who are in those councils their understanding of the scriptures, and and um, so you go, okay, this is an articulation of what it's meant to be a Christian for nearly seventeen hundred years, and now like all of a sudden since eighteen hundred we go, no, we're good, <laughs> like we're, we're just gonna and and I appreciate people's sincerity and want to. Like, what do the scriptures say? And we should always right. say, what do the scriptures say? Well, that, that's, um, but that's it, an it's, important... it's help. We should it's stop helpful. here. Hold on, Luke. Hold oh, on, sorry, Luke. You're right. It, the, the understanding, like interacting with the creeds and later on the confessions and, and these theologians throughout church history, it, it allows us to enter into a conversation that we've been having for thou- for a couple thousand years and to say, well, no, I just don't have value in that is I mean, how is that not arrogant? Like, uh, like for me, I look at, like, I'm willing to, I'm willing to listen to all of these people over the last 2000 years. How is that not humble? You know what I mean? Like, and I'm not trying to say like, Hey, look at me in the humility. It's just like, let me learn from these people who are far smarter than I. they've, uh, they've asked the questions that I'm asking. Let me see the, their answers and how they got there. Like, you know, so to me, the, the arrogance comes when you go, well, I'm not even willing to have the conversation. And it's like, what? <laughs> you know, and especially when you look at our brothers and sisters who are even part of mainline denominations, um, Orthodox denominations, Reformed denominations, Lutheran denominations, Evangelical denominations, and all these other churches. And they go, There's, they hold tightly to these things and say, this is what it has meant for 2000 years to be a Christian. And then we go, nah, bro, I'm good. I, I just don't see how that isn't arrogant, you know? And, and I mean, maybe there's a better word for it. If there is, give it to me and I'll use it. But um, yeah, I, I think here's, yeah. here's what I'm struggling with right now. And maybe, maybe you can help me clarify the tension in my own mind. I hear everything you're saying and I'm a creedalist. So Obviously, I, I reject. Can we just the, can you just say you're a Christian? I mean, there's like to me, creedalist, <laughs> non-creedalist, because for the rest of the church, that's like outside of aberrant Christian circles, like the creeds are what have defined. This is the fundamental Christian belief. Right. Um, so hold on. I let me finish. Um, I believe in the creeds. I believe in studying, learning from church history. Also, I think about. Um, uh, for example, Martin Luther showing up and think of all a lot of people don't realize that Luther came on the scene at a time 
that despite the fact that the Catholic Church was experiencing tremendous decay, moral and spiritual decay, it was also a time of tremendous strength in terms of Catholic um, scholars. Like, think mm-hmm. of Erasmus. So how arrogant was it of Luther to say, well, I know better than Erasmus, and, and then you can go down the list of, of Catholic, uh, Catholic scholars up to that point. I mean, that, that seemed pretty arrogant, and yet th- this, is, this is where I think it is difficult sometimes to discern between a, a, a true commitment to sola scriptura and a, a true co- commitment to sola mia, right? If if we're that's serious, a, that's like a, that sounds like a song. <laughs> if, we're seri- if we're serious about the Bible as the sole uh, infallible rule rule of faith and life, then I think we can we can say truly that everything else is on the chopping block in the sense that it could go if we were to to find that Scripture contradicted it. Um, so so when I when I sit down with a young Christian and a creed, I'm not sitting down to say, to declare the authority of the, of Nicaea. I'm sitting down to declare the authority of scripture and show them, look, this creed summarizes what scripture undeniably teaches. Right. So there's, I have mixed feelings because there's a part of me that just wants to jump in with you and say, yes. Why, why would we assume that we know better than 1800 years of Christians? But then there's another part of me that goes, okay, but it's very possible that that in some in some ways those 1800 years of Christians were wrong, and we want to submit to scripture, not uh, tradition. And so I have a trouble again. Again, tradition is is tradition doesn't trump scripture, but it's helpful. That like it, it it's an aid. It's a resource. It's like it's like opening up your Logos Bible software and like pulling up like. Hey, let me type this in and look for a search and search through something. Mm-hmm. That's what tradition and church history does for us. And so, so it's important for uh, like when we're talking about the ecumenical creeds, right? right? Like the the church split just just past uh, one thousand. I forget I forget what year, but it was just after um, one thousand. Yeah, it was eleventh century somewhere in there. So. Um, so up until that point, you essentially you essentially had two uh, main or right at that point you had the split between the Western and the, and, and the Eastern Church, and and the, the the biggest split was over the Philoque, whether or not mm-hmm. it was it, it's it's um, the Father who who sends the Holy Spirit or it's the Father and Son who send the Holy Spirit. And right. that seems innocuous t- to us today, or it just seems kind of frivolous to us today. I don't think mm-hmm. it is, but. Um, but it's important for us to understand that up until that point, like this was the consensus for 700 years with the, with, with all of these, it's almost like, um, think about this, right? Imagine if part of, um, our covenant relationship with our wives was to affirm our love for them every single year. Right. And we like went through and, and every single year, Every single year on our anniversary, we we celebrate it, and and all of a sudden we just give like a check, like, yes, I affirm, yes, I affirm. Yes, I affirm. <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like the like for us we did that, like our forebears did that up until the mid eighteen hundreds, and we're like, um, <laughs> no longer affirm, and it's like 
wait, we just did this for <laughs> for a, for a ver- for fifteen hundred years or so, right? And right. now now all of a sudden we're like, nope, nope, I'm signing off this and doing something totally totally different now. Now listen, I'm I'm definitely cool with like if you find I love the confessions. I love catechisms, right? Mm-hmm. Like right now I'm spending time reading the Heidelberg catechism, which is life changing. It is beautiful. And I'm reading it as though it's a dialogue between two people, which I don't know if that's how it's supposed to be read. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been reading it in that way, almost like it's a comic book and, it, and it's, it's awesome. So, um, so you, I find things in the catechism where I go, yeah, I don't, you know uh but that's okay you know and so and this is why but it it causes me to go back and ask questions right so right why right. do i disagree and 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 so engaging in that kind of conversation is super helpful but without it i wouldn't be even be asking the questions i wouldn't know to ask the questions right. if i just started with my bible which your bible's enough and and we're so blessed in america to have so many different translations in the english but if I didn't have all this history, I might be asking questions that someone answered 200 years ago and I could build off the foundation that they laid for those answers. Right. Yeah. And that's the purpose of us doing theology together. So you just, you just did something I think is really important for this conversation. And I think it's a good, a good place for us to end and sort of move into something else. Cause what you just said is great. You used uh, two important r- phrases that I think sort of summarize this, this um, discussion. Number one, you said the Bible is enough. Mm-hmm. I think I think we any 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 Christian should be should be willing to say that, right? If we if God forbid we uh, uh, we're on an airplane with a bunch of other Christians, it crashes, and all we had was the Bible. We didn't have any of Calvin's Institutes. We didn't have we didn't have any any of the creeds, the Confessions. Of I don't know. If we don't have the Institutes? Then do you even? <laughs> Sorry, the Bible and the Institutes are enough. Now, if, if all we had was the Bible that we could on on that, uh, you know, desert island over generations, we could establish an Orthodox church and that'd be enough. However, OK, so it, this discussion, I think, is often ships passing in the night where you have people on one side going, isn't the Bible um, sufficient? And we want to say yes. But the fact that it's sufficient doesn't mean that nothing else can be helpful. Right. Right. It's it's possible to say, as you just said, the Bible is enough and say, let's also use these other resources and we can do so without um, denying or challenging or undermining Sola Scriptura in the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, there's a big difference between Sola and Solo Scriptura. Right. Um, so what, what I'm realizing that there are many who believe in Solo Scriptura, mm-hmm. um, which was not one of the points of the Reformation. And yeah, they, Luther Luther would have been appalled at solo scriptura. Luther, Luther would we should go to the Lutheran insult um generator. <laughs> Just see what, see what he might and and listen, man, yeah, Luther would have been you asked this question, was Luther er, he would have been considered arrogant to to go against Erasmus. And we have great many things that we can treasure from Erasmus, right? Um <clears throat> but Luther was right. You know, and his intent was to reform the church, not start a new church. And that's important for us. He was trying mm-hmm. at first when he when he nailed his 95 theses, um, when he nailed those theses, his attempt, like he even says in there, like he affirms the p- papacy. 
Um, now he changed years later, like his mm-hmm. theology evolves, but he affirms the papacy and, and he's seeking to like win Pope Leo over, right? Like he's trying to say, like, right, right, brother, <laughs> like we, like there's so many problems here. Let's let's fix this junk. Um, so so it's important for us to again read Luther in context, you know, yeah. You, Luther, read him in context and know what he was pushing back against. Um, Again, we need church history within the church so that we can understand how we got where we're at. Um, Right, right. Well, it's it's the it's a far overused cliche, but only because it's true. Those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. Um, The Bible is sufficient. With that said, I also don't want to be revisiting all the mistakes of my forebearers. I'd like to learn from them. Right. And that's the other thing. Like, um, and I've had this conversation with some other, you know, younger pastors. And it seems like it seems like it's the people who are under 40. Uh, and there are there are many who are who are of the boomer age too, um, who who feel this way that I've had conversations with, but it seems like I guess it's, maybe it's just the circles I run in. But all the younger guys that I know personally and have a relationship with, they're ardent. You know, like, yeah, the, mm-hmm. we should adopt the creeds as a denomination. Like, this is nonsense that we're not, you know? Um, yeah. Well, I, I want to give I want to give a shout out to the um, that I, I can't think of all their names, but I've I've heard all their names in conversations with various Berkshire graduates. I want to give a shout out to the professors who were at Berkshire and that era from like 60 to 80 somewhere in there because um i think the reason that so many young advent christians are uh committed trinitarian creedalists is because of the churches they grew up in and the pastors that they had and those pastors and church leaders many of them were graduates from berkshire during that era when there was really strong trinitarian teaching going on um so i think in a lot of ways that this this movement of a lot of younger Advent Christians, uh, this sort of bucking against the, the non-credal tradition. I blame, I blame Berkshire College and the fantastic professorship they had for uh, about 20 or 30 years that produced so many of the church leaders that we have now that raised and trained us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the reason I've come to many of the theological conclusions I've come to, despite the fact that some previous generations would disagree with me, is not because I, I didn't learn from those generations. It's because those generations taught me to value and read scripture. And then when I did, I, I found out, oh, this is what it teaches. Yeah. Hey, just to, um, I, <laughs> I didn't mean it this way. But at least Matt Rice and Mike Alex thought I was just I was uh, insulting boomers. I wasn't. I wasn't insulting boomers. But uh, I was just saying that it's not just the younger folks. Like I know a great many older folks too, older than me, older than you, who who also think the creeds are important. That they would love, like um, Bob Mayer, who who's just retired as a as the head librarian and a professor at Gordon Conwell, an Advent Christian. He worked at. Um, ACGC for a number of years. Very smart guy. He and I don't agree on everything, but he and I have had a number of good conversations. And to him, not having the creeds is like, <laughs> is oh, you're, you're, I mean, you don't have the creeds, like, <laughs> you know, because you go everywhere else. Like Gordon Conwell is a very, you know, um, 
is a seminary that's very open to different, like it's, it's a smorgasbord of different denominations, people from all backgrounds. Um, you know, I'm not saying that it's liberal theologically, but it's liberal in the, like if you go to reform theological seminary or Westminster, um, reform through and through, right? Like they're confessional. Um, that's not Gordon Conwell. They aren't confessional. They've, they've leaned, they've leaned kind of reformed, I think in years past, at least that's what I've been told. Um, but, uh, they, you know, you rub shoulders with people from all kinds of different backgrounds. And even there, it's like, wait, no, no creeds. I have to, you know? I want to, I want to piggyback off of this cause I like what you're saying, but I have to uh, interrupt for just a moment to greet my son. Hi Holden. It's daddy. I'm glad you're listening. Uh, Hi Holden. No, I, I really appreciate what you're saying. Um, in our in our little sort of insulated Advent Christian circle, it, we don't always necessarily realize what our older, uh, in terms of denominations, our older Christian brothers are thinking when they look at us. But I, I, I'll say this in defense of our denomination: we're young, right? In the mm-hmm. same way that you wouldn't expect a, a, a toddler to speak like a, a teenager or an adult, I think in a lot of ways, theologically speaking, we're still very young. Uh, the church didn't have the creeds for the first 300 something years. Uh, I think it's just because of our origins um, and what a hodge theological hodgepodge it was because of the fact that we really didn't have any, uh, we, we weren't so much a break off of any denomination. I mean, maybe you could say we were a break off from the Baptists, uh, but it, there were so many non-Baptists in the movement that it, that's a difficult argument to make. I think in some ways we, we really did sort of start from scratch. And so it, we, it, we shouldn't be surprised that it's taken us time to arrive here. I think it's a normal progression. Yeah. And, and it comes with its growing pains. Right. And, right. and, you know, you're, you know, obviously we're having conversations about the ecumenical creeds and, and who knows where that goes. Right. Okay. Like, like who, who knows? It's amazing the difference between Mike when he's on the show and Mike when he's in the comments. I feel like it's two different people. There's got to be. Because <laughs> whenever, whenever he's in the comments, it's solely so he can stir up trouble. And then he gets on the show and he's very uh, level. And yeah, uh, Mike, what's going on, man? Is this like me, myself and Irene? What's the deal? <laughs> oh my god i haven't seen that movie in such a long time that's such that's such a bad movie <laughs> should we um, uh I, I we could we could uh talk on this forever but for the sake of this being a proper potpourri episode should we move on and talk about reopening yeah man so like dude so oh my goodness hold on let me uh i'm gonna put something on the screen real quick okay um while you're, while you're look, looking for this to put it on the screen, I'm going to ask you a question for you to think about, because I've been trying to trying to think through this. OK, so the I, th- I think probably the big news is that the CDC said, basically, if you're vaccinated, don't worry about masking social or, or social distancing. So I think I think the question is, did, with with the qualification that, yes, COVID still a thing. People are still getting infected. It's still killing people. The vaccine is not 100% effective. Not everyone's getting it. With all those qualifications, okay, is this the end of the pandemic formal? We hope so. 
It is for me. Look at this thing. Look at this, man. Boom. Look at that. You know who that you know who that bearded fella is in the background right there? I do, yeah. Yeah, one not, of my friends. You are not six feet away from everyone. <laughs> not at all, man. So one of my friends, uh, so I don't know, can you tell that my voice is hoarse? Like, do I sound hoarse or raspy? Uh no. Okay, because my throat's killing me. <clears throat> so um last night was the first hurricanes playoff game. And um, so I took Jackson, my son, who's nine years old, and we went to the game. And the governor here in North Carolina, you know this, uh, he's opening everything up, man. It's great. And um, so so the capacity at the PNC Arena, which is where the Hurricanes plays, is a little over 19,000. They opened it up to 12,000 last night. You had to wear masks. There was no social distancing, as you can tell. I don't know why. Matt points out here, I think PNC requires masks. I <laughs> wore a mask nearly the whole time except for when I was eating. I don't know why I wasn't wearing a mask here. I can't, I can't remember. But I, don't see, the- I don't see you stuffing food in your mouth, so I don't know if we can believe you. <laughs> I trust me, man. It, it sucked. Like wearing a mask for that long for three or four hours was just awful. Um, I don't know how pe- and it, with a beard, it makes it. Oh, so, so yeah. One of my friends that I play hockey with, uh, snapped this picture. This was on the jumbotron. So, um, you can tell because, or maybe it was on TV. I'm not quite sure. Um, yeah. So this was, this was up. Somebody snapped a picture of it and, and Jackson's probably like he's below my shoulder. So I don't know if you can see him. I don't know who this person is next to me. I, I, I tried, you know, I try not to touch people or talk to people or anything like that. So, um, what about those things? So yeah, man, especially with COVID and guess who I met last night. Guess who I met for the first time in real life. You met a caribou or a deer or a reindeer. Nope. Or, you're getting you're getting close though. Okay, one of one of those four-legged mammals with horns. I met the Moose McLaughlin along with his lovely wife Lisa. So here we are like Jackson and I are walking up to the to the gate and like the line's mm-hmm. super long to get into the stadium. And all of a sudden like this person like is right next to me and I'm like this face looks familiar and he's like hey and i said wait you're moose and he said yeah and then we introduced ourselves and and we had a nice like 20 25 minute conversation as it took that that long to get into the arena last night so it was great it was lovely seeing you moose and lisa if you're watching or listening um they're big fans of the program they love us so and we love you we love you uh shout shout out to moose who i'm sure is still uh uh a great supporter of the show, but way back when we were just a little itty bitty baby show, he was like fan number one. I feel like I remember having interactions with Moose yes. before I, anyone else. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's our before anyone else. Yeah. He's, he's the alpha of the, <laughs> of the Bible and Panther <laughs> fan club. I don't know who the Omega is now. Um, I, I don't know. We'll have to, maybe, maybe we'll end the show and then we'll see who it is. You know, I did, I did have a thought, not that we're going to, but I did have a thought. It's weird that the, the, the on the subject of things reopening and, and light at the end of the tunnel and things starting to look up again. I mean, this, this show would not have existed without COVID. So there for was, sure there was, yeah. there was like so, a thought in the back of my head where I went. So does that mean that if COVID is over, uh, we know it's not over, over, but it's, it's symbolically, it's coming to an end. Does that mean that the show 
this supposed to end as well? It's the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, Eric and Mike and I will meet together next week and we'll just decide, nah, we're, we're good. Yeah, you know what? You know what? I think this is a perfect time for the it's three a good of run. us to well next week we'll sit down, we'll talk about, you know, do we want to continue the show? If you mm-hmm. want us to continue the show, we want you to like this right now, like it, share it. <laughs> we should um, we should say this. Uh, uh we're obviously joking, but if even if that were to happen, we would we would um uh hold up commitments we've already made. So if we come back in two weeks and say the show is over, what that will actually mean is that the show is over in like three months after we have the shows that we've already agreed to with certain guests. Wait, we have certain guests that we've agreed to? Dude, come on. Uh, There's just a whole Facebook message thread about it like a couple days ago. Dude, I'm so, dude, I'm so, so like, so I'm starting a new class. I just started a new class yesterday on church history. Go figure. Oh, you're, Which would be like my 10th one. Yeah, in like you're in seminary again. That, so that I have really, to, yeah. I have to. So I got to finish these last two classes before I can move on to my doctorate. And this class has a paper that I got to write. And I, I had like a bunch of different things I could choose. So um, I I manipulated what one of the topics were because you want to get more specific. So I chose free will and grace. Um, they were like combined. So and I go to an Armenian dispensationalist school, so I know their perspective. And I'm not Armenian nor dispensationalist. So <clears throat> I'm writing on Luther, uh, the Lutheran and the reform view of free will and grace. And so, uh, yeah, so Eric, I, I've been out of the loop the last couple of days because I'm trying to do my research. So, Eric, I think it's safe to say that being in seminary absolves you from any responsibility to remember anything that didn't that anything that happened before yesterday. So we'll I appreciate that. We'll give you grace. I appreciate that. So um, so. Yeah, things are opening up, man. So, like, what does that mean for our churches? What does that mean? For, mm-hmm. Like, for, dude, I cannot tell you how exciting last night was to be in a mass group of people, being around 12,000 people. Um, I mean, it was just – it was incredible. Now, mm-hmm. I'm also vaccinated, so, like, I feel I feel like I can – you know, I feel like Superman. Um, <laughs> Is that how it works? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You and then you just you get dude, the laser I, vision. I have – I've received so many shots from when I was in the Army. Like that's why like people are concerned about the COVID shot. And I understand, right? Like, mm-hmm. like if you don't get the COVID shot, like I'm not one of these people like, Oh, are you hate grandma, what, whatever, <laughs> man. Like you got to make your decision. What's best for you. Right. But like for me in the army, I got these kinds of shots on the regular man. So like for me, what's one more thing going to do? Oh like, yeah. yeah. Like, you're, you're all, you're already radioactive at this point. Right. Like I'm <laughs> yeah. Radioactive probably isn't a good term to use considering what's going on over in uh Russia well, or, well, or excuse me, the Ukraine. I'm no I'm no scientist, but I assume that's how vaccines work is they basically just take nuclear material and inject mm-hmm. it into your body. I think that's mm-hmm. the scientific terminology for it. Yeah. So so anyway, dude, it was so encouraging to be there. Like um like it, it was great. It was it was awesome. So um, now, now we have to make decisions too. Like here in North Carolina, mm-hmm. CDC has lifted the mask mandate. North Carolina essentially has to, mm-hmm. um, so now what do you do? Because our, I think it's going to make our churches have to have difficult conversations because they're going to be, be people yep. in, in our churches that might be more concerned than others regarding masks. Yep. Um, and again, <clears throat> we've said this on the, on the show, we want to show as much grace towards 
everybody, wherever they're at, because no one's navigated this kind of situation in their lifetime. Well, for, for, so, the, for the individual believer, absolutely grace upon grace. But that doesn't change the fact that churches have to make decisions. Right? Yes. And we, 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 can, we can ask every, every individual Christian, hey, be respectful, be kind, let people make their own choices. Um, but, but that doesn't change the fact that churches have to set policy. Mm-hmm. So there's still going to, even if you just say, well, we're going to be kind to each other, you still, you still have to make decisions as a, as a church leadership. Yeah. So, I mean, have you guys started to talk about this? Like you and your, you and your uh, not leaders? since, not since the release from the governor. That's uh, we, we've, we talked about it fairly recently, but it was before all the, the, released from the CDC and then the order from Cooper. So we've not talked about it since that happened, since that just governor, happened. Governor Cooper. What did I keep saying? You just said Cooper. Cooper. Uh, I, I like to esteemed, use people's titles. The esteemed majesty, Governor Cooper, released us from... <laughs> Talking about Governor Cooper, man. So he was this... There's a siren before that they do before each period at the Hurricanes games. Mm-hmm. It's the hurricane siren, and it's it fills the whole arena. It's really cool. It's just something that they do, part of the tradition there. And um, so Governor Cooper was the first siren sounder of the game. It's like sounding the siren as the Hurricanes are coming out on the ice. As soon as they announced his name, all you could hear were boos. Like I was, I was, I have never, I've never, I've gone to one political rally my Mm -hmm. entire life. And, um, I have never heard anyone. boo. So is is hockey like a Republican thing? Does it run down party lines that way? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think like hockey has this hat, you know, has a, has an initiative. Hockey is for everyone. They're very, they're trying to become very LGBTQ, um, inclusive, um, it seems like the most vocal people, especially on social media, are – and I guess, it, at least to me, it seems like the left are, are usually more vocal anyway. Right. But um, it is – it was interesting. Like Now, someone did point out, like, hey, I think it was like 60% booze, 40% people yelling coop because coop and boo sounds really <laughs> – so, so there could be a debate there. But I took it as a – I did not respond one way or another. Because I think I'm, tra- I think I'm trying might... to show I'm trying to show my son, like, even though I might disagree with some of the governor's policies, I'm not going to boo the governor. I'm not going to boo the president. I'm, I'm just I'm just I think not. You, I think you were projecting. I think the whole stadium was 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 chanting coop, coop, coop. <laughs> and you and your little conservative brain just morphed it into boo because you couldn't stand the idea that a whole stadium would be cheering for your mortal enemy. I think that's what happened. Well, I think I forget what I said. <laughs> I said something in like my warriors group chat, which is all like the disabled veterans, my disabled veterans. And like, they're, they're mostly super conservative dudes. And, and you know, many of them are, aren't exactly fans of, of the governor. <laughs> and, um, and someone's like, Oh, great. Governor or Cooper's going to be the the siren sounder, and I said, uh, "Everybody boo him!" And I said, "Listen, I will cheer if he allows me to take my mask off. I will give him mm-hmm. whatever he wants if he allows me to take his mask off." So I caught some heat for that. But mm. now, uh, Mark Wolfington saying that Chicago and uh, Mayor of Chicago and Governor of Illinois, neither of whom have "oo" names, were booed at the White Sox home opener. So I guess it is, I guess it is possible. 
it is possible for uh, people belonging to a certain party to not approve of a candidate, even if they're part of the party. Maybe I which is kind of refreshing. Which is refreshing, right? Like, I feel like if I'm going to boost, if I'm a Republican, and I'm going to boost somebody. It's probably going to be another Republican, right? Like, like right, I'm right. more, I'm far more critical of those I agree with than those I disagree with. Like, if yeah. I if I think we're on the same team, I'm going to be far more pointed and for far more, uh, like like if I don't think we're on the same team, I'm going to be more like, man, whatever, dude. You know what's funny? This actually takes us full circle because I think this goes back to the conversation we were having earlier. I think sometimes you and I can come across as adversarial, um, but but we are most adversarial with the people that we consider to be on our team. In some ways, you should almost consider it a badge of honor if Eric and I start a fight with you because we – no, you don't, you, don't think it, you don't think it applies? <laughs> I don't think anyone should consider what you or I think a badge of honor. Like I don't, I don't no, think that ba- highly of ba- you or myself. Badge of honor is the wrong term. You should you you should take it as as a compliment because we're we we we're most concerned about the people who are on our team, right? Yeah, whatever. I guess if that's if that's how you're gonna psychoanalyze what I just said, then fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just, whatever. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to harmonize. Okay, these these uh, Bible teachers keep telling me I'm supposed to harmonize. The you know uh, uh, passages of scripture. I assume I'm just supposed to do that with everything else in life, and that's all I'm trying to do, Eric. Yeah, yeah. So, so back to back to the original point about opening things up. Uh-huh. Uh, I guess I guess it's probably not appropriate for you or I to share our takes, considering that we're probably gonna yeah have those I, I conversations can't. with our leaders. So yeah, we'll I can't pass that. on that one. Um, cause we, we actually, I'm having a meeting tonight with, with our Deacon board and then we have an mm-hmm. official board meeting after that. So we'll probably have, we'll probably have a decision tonight about this upcoming, uh, Sunday. So yeah, yeah, it, it's probably just not appropriate for me to say that prior to, no, probably not. And I, I definitely, I definitely would not do that. Um, I will just... I, one of the oh, things I find really important and I learned like, if like, I look at the way that I interact with my deacon board and, and for those who are unfamiliar, like uh, for those who come from elder led churches. So like our, like for your context and my context is similar in that our deacons and deaconesses, if we have deaconesses serve kind of as, as elders, their, their responsibility, their scope is, is the spiritual well being in the church, spiritual direction of the church. So right. like if I go into a meeting and this has happened before where, um, I propose some, or, or like, Hey, here's my position. Here's, here's the rest of the board's position. And we disagree. No one's going to know that. Like that's, that's between right. the board and me. Like I don't walk out of the meeting and go, ah, blah. you know, and, and I did that when I was, uh, uh, an associate pastor, um, like the senior pastor and I might disagree, but nobody else would know that except for me and the senior pastor. And I think that's the best way to run, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> run I, I'm going to admit to something here. And if anyone really wants to like pull up Facebook archives from a year ago, that's fine. I, I can't stop them. I actually think that's a mistake I really made early on in the pandemic is I was very publicly vocal about my political view of the situation. And, and I did not anticipate that it was early on before we had made any long-term decisions as a church. And I did not anticipate that we were going to have to be making those. So um, I've been careful ever since then, I think. I think I learned my lesson, but that was definitely a mistake I made early on was being really quick to sort of jump into the political fray personally, but not thinking about my position as a pastor and the importance of being able to 
to present a united front with the rest of the leadership. I didn't, I didn't think about that at the time. And that's something that I do think about now. So it was a good lesson. Yeah. Yeah. You learn. I mean, that's all you can do, right? Is learn. Mm -hmm. So that's good. Um, Now there's a real interesting comment here that I don't know that 10 minutes is enough to unpack it, but we can take a shot. Cynthia Law says, I feel like a person needs to be political in order to be part of the great awakening. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and take a guess, and she can correct me if I'm wrong, that by great awakening, she's talking about some sort of reformation or revival or great move of God. Uh, Usually that's what people mean when they use that term. So uh, I have... And I'm assuming assuming, assuming Cynthia doesn't mean like politics is in like being involved in government or or something. I I think she means like being strategic in, in... Thing? I don't know. I don't know. I took I took it the other way. And I think part of the reason I took it that way, speaking of uh, uh, psychoanalysis and projecting, I think the reason <laughs> I took it that way is I've really been uh, I've really been wrestling of late with sort of the the role of of the political in the arena of Christian faith and life that I think for a long time, because of my own political persuasion of uh pretty committed libertarian i've always i've sort of taken the view that is not not that faith and politics are separate what what the bible says what god says certainly affects the way that i see politics but i sort of took this view of stay out of politics preach the gospel don't let the don't don't go the way of like a jerry falwell jr um, or, uh, or, or, a, or a Reverend Jesse Jackson, like, don't do it. And I still don't see those guys as great examples. Um, but there is, I am beginning to sort of wrestle with, especially as our culture, if it continues the way that it's going, you know, I, I think of, for example, pastors in Canada right now who are choosing to take certain stands and being arrested uh, and hearing some of the, the sermons that they preach on what's, uh, what does respect of government authority, like where does it stop? At what point do we say we obey God rather than men? I really have been wrestling of late with this idea of, okay, maybe there's actually, I have more political responsibility as a Christian than I have assumed for a pretty long time. Maybe removing myself from the political arena is a mistake, which is not to say that I think I should then swing the other direction, endorse a candidate, endorse a party, and then elevate that above the Bible or, or, or look at every Christian who disagrees with me politically and say, you're a heretic. I don't want to do that. But I, but there is also a part of me that wonders, okay, maybe I've gotten this wrong. Maybe there is a a pretty deep political responsibility on the part of the Christian, especially if we take seriously the idea that um, uh, Jesus is Lord and that God's law is didn't um, disappear into the into the mist when Jesus showed up. So that is something we don't have time to to try to flesh out all of that. But that is something I've been wrestling with a little bit lately. Oh, Cynthia says yes. So I I correctly interpreted her her remark. She's talking about political in terms of. Uh, uh, politics, not just strategy, but involvement in in government. So I know you can't, we can't have a whole discussion, but why don't you just give sort of your initial thoughts to my waffling? Well, you know, 
when it comes to politics, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm pretty, I've, I've decreased in my opinion, uh, my, I've been very opinionated before mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and people have disappointed me to the point where it's really been humbling. So I don't put mm-hmm. too much stock in, in specific people. Sure. Um, you know, there's one or two, um, senators or congressmen that I've really appreciated. Um, Ben Sass is one of them, man. I mean, dude, that Sass, yes. So Ben Sass is the real deal, man. If you're a Christian and you try to vilify him because he's been critical of Donald Trump, then you have no idea what you're talking about. Because Ben Sass, like this brother, has been part of like theological debates and statements as as a Presbyterian back in the nineties. Like this guy knows 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 the scriptures, knows the lo- like he walks the walk, talks the talk. He has 20, 30 years of like showing that in his life, right? Yeah. So you can disagree with some like disagree with him fine on certain things, but I'm telling you, like he doesn't need to be vilified. And I've seen some Christians do that because he's disagreeing yep. with President Trump. Um well, let me interject. Let me interject though here, because I hear everything you're saying, and I don't. I could be wrong, but I don't think Cynthia is talking about we need to pick and endorse a candidate. No, no, I'm not. Never, you didn't let me finish, man. You're right, I didn't. I've done that a few times today. I'm sorry. I'm gonna let you finish. It's okay. I forgive you. Um, Thank you. All that to say, I don't. <clears throat> I don't think Christians should sell themselves out to a political party. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, and, and not sell ourselves out to even political candidates either. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and I respect the people who are single issue voters, so they can't ever vote for um, a Democrat because of their pro abortion um, platform. I don't necessarily, I don't know if I agree with single issue voting, um, but, but even I, I understand it, you know. But even if you uh, don't accept single issue voting, I, I agree with you on we don't sell out on a, a candidate or a party but what about on a platform or an issue that's more of the stuff i'm wrestling with is yeah i I don't need to sell my soul to any particular candidate um but but there there are some things and the abortion is not the only issue i'm not saying we have to be one issue voters but that is a good example of an issue that it seems to me and our statement our recent our recent um statement that we affirmed at the triennial convention along these lines it seems to me like the Bible speaks really clearly to certain issues. And mm-hmm. I don't know anymore if the best course is to be silent on those issues. So mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not trying to argue for uh, we need to endorse a candidate or a party and just sort of sell the soul of the church in order to gain political power. I think it would be a terrible mistake. But are there some political issues where the biblical testimony is so clear that we need to say something. Uh, I mean, another great example would be the LGBTQ stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that I have a clear idea of, of what the laws should be, but I don't, I don't know how you can take the Bible seriously and call uh, uh, that anything except wrong. And so what is the responsibility of the church, of the pastor, of the Christian, uh, to speak against evil, regardless of what party or candidate you're voting for? Well, I think, you know, the confessions actually have some great conversations about the role of the civil magistrate in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, I don't I don't have those parts down, you know, like you haven't, not, you haven't not, memorized them. What's wrong with no, you? No, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'm not reformed enough, but 
Um, and, and that's what Bickford's saying right now. He probably has it down. But I, you know, so we play a role in the civil magistrate. You know, we have we mm-hmm. have a voice because we're citizens of this country. Um, but I think there there is, you know, a good reason <laughs> matt rice eric always bringing it back to the crazy <laughs> he can't help it he can't help himself matt's not shaking his head. matt's not shaking his head he's going yes he just wants <laughs> to give me a hard time but um you know I, I think you know we speak when we vote and we can speak on certain so, certain issues but i'm always concerned about how we talk about things right right so um it's like if you look at let's set aside LGBTQ for a second and start looking at drug addiction. Mm -hmm. And um, so how do we, how do we address drug addiction and how that impacts families? Cause drug addiction leads to all kinds of other sins too. And I mentioned, I actually mentioned this in my sermon this past Sunday, you know, drug addiction is one of the leading causes of, of abuse, um, physical, emotional, sexual abuse. And so, so how do we, how can we like, help people in those situations, not only spiritually, but also physically. And, and, you know, I've heard many people go, wow, you know, someone has to pay $1,200 a month for a shot of, um, of insulin, but they can get Narcan for free. And it's like, well, maybe that's like, Hey, how can we make, (laughs) that's the wrong question, right? Yeah, Yeah. Wrong comparison. I think, I think it is if someone needs this to live, how can we help them? Right. And whose right, responsibility right. is it? Should it be the church's responsibility? Should it be, should it be the government's responsibility? And that's a good question to have. And I'm not telling yeah, yeah. you that I have the answers because, you know, I can say that as a libertarian, I go, well, that's, that's not the government's responsibility. And I would say it's the church's responsibility, but then if it's the church's responsibility, well, what do we say to churches that don't have the funds to help out members in their community to afford um, detox facilities or insulin or supply Narcan and, and stuff like that. So, so how, how do we, ne- these are messy issues and right. what we, what, how we, we interact like, like the talking heads on TV as though we're trying to debate a very complex issue in between, you know, for five minutes in between two, three and a half minute commercial breaks. And right. you just can't do that effectively. And, and that's how we've become more polarized within the church and, and, and as a country. We need to have these conversations. We need to have them charitably. Um, we don't need to do vilify you, people. And do you think um, we should have those conversations in the church? Define in the church. With the body. So I'm not talking about Sunday morning worship necessarily. Mm-hmm. We just read the Apostles' Creed. Now we're going to have an open discussion of gay marriage. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, Bible study uh, out in the parking lot after the service. Because, because I, think, I think one of the things that I grew up in that I'm wrestling with is this, is this good or bad or neutral, I don't know, is uh, sort of a, an, an attitude that we, we when, when we're doing church stuff, we don't talk about this stuff because it's going to divide us. And that's one of the things, the other things I'm wrestling with is, should we be talking more about politics in uh, Bible study and, or, or, just, or just in conversations with fellow church members, that kind of stuff? Well, I think, I think how you and I might see that and how someone who, I can't say this without, without someone giving me a hard time. So, uh, 
I just like you have to you have to come to some theological like what does the Bible say about something, right? Right. And then once you realize what the Bible says about something, you've developed a, uh, a theology, and you're trying to apply yeah. it rightly. So right. So I would say to someone who who can't articulate who who is unwilling to articulate those things, then right. we certainly we cannot have that conversation as a denomination for sure because we're because of the nature of how we're set up as far as not having anything binding like we don't have anything binding us together regarding what the scriptures say, right? It's kind of a theological free-for-all. Right. I think internally how, you know, you and I having that conversation because we have, um, we're united by our shared um, understanding of the scriptures. We can now say, well, how does that apply? And we can debate that and we're on the same right. playing. Right. And, and, and we can do so charitably. Yeah. But if you have someone who's, who, 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 you know, you just is unwilling to make those steps. I'm trying to be charitable and careful on how I say this. Yeah. If you have someone who's unwilling to make those steps, then you can't get to the application because you haven't gotten to the theology of it. Right. Um, right. So I think, I think you hard. bring up, you think you bring up a really good point here though, which is that there, there should be lots of room for disagreeing about application. Um, if we go back to one example, I mentioned earlier of the LGBTQ stuff, you could have two people who both say um, uh, the Bible declares that that kind of sexual perversion is wrong, but would disagree on how how the government should be involved, right? Because there's right. there's a big difference between saying gay marriage, gay gay. There's no such thing as gay marriage, right? That shouldn't be legally recognized. And saying on the other hand, I, I, or let me rephrase that there shouldn't be, right? There's a big difference between saying gay marriage should not be legally recognized and saying gay should be thrown into prison, right? What, right. You, ha what you have there is people who might disagree, who might agree <clears throat> sort of at the beginning of the conversation, but then we start talking about, well, how does that actually work? How does that play out in terms of what the actual role of government is in this moral issue? And they could be have huge differences. Um, and so it, I think your point is fair that there does have to be a lot of grace in terms of application. So I don't think that a Christian should necessarily, in, in the same way that they shouldn't endorse, uh, or let me rephrase, that they shouldn't sell their soul for um, a, a candidate or a party. I don't necessarily think that they should for a platform either where they say, this is the particular legal approach we need to take. However, I think we should, we do need to be able, I, I think I need, we need to be able to preach from the pulpit against abortion, sexual perversion, the kinds of things prevalent in our culture, which are just clearly, plainly wrong, according to the word of God. That doesn't necessarily mean standing up from your pulpit and saying, I think we should pass a law that does these things and is enforced by these particular branches. Because now you're getting into application, you're getting into the really messy area of, okay, if this moral claim is true, how do we then uh, how does the government enforce it? Should it be enforced by government? Should it be culturally mm -hmm. enforced? Mm -hmm. But if we're just talking about the baseline right and wrong of something, I, I think we should be able to tell, you know, to proclaim what the Bible says about a political issue. Um, and I don't know. Well, that I well, but again, these aren't political issues. They're moral issues. Right. Uh, so, so that, again, that's, that's challenging because like, like I think about this, if I'm, if I'm a Senator or a Congressman, mm -hmm. um, you know, I have to vote my conscience. 
Right. And so I'm going to vote based on my worldview. Just like, I mean, if we have someone who's an atheist and they're in Congress, I wouldn't expect them to vote my worldview. I'd expect them to vote for their worldview, like in, in right. initiate policy for their worldview. That doesn't mean they're evil. I mean, they're po- like their policies are evil, but they themselves might, you know, they're a mom or a dad. They're a brother or sister. They are, um, you know, they're sinners. And, and just like you and I are, and we'd hope that they would come to faith and repentance and that that would change their worldview. And, mm-hmm. But ultimately I'm not trying to use them to get um, our way politically. My main goal is to see them know Christ. So, right. um, you, you know, like the whole gay marriage um, that's secondary, man. Like, like is like, to me, I, I don't look at it as like a, an issue that I'm willing to die for because I don't, I don't, I'm not convinced that it's the responsibility of the, of the government to be in the business of marriage. Right. So, but I, so but I, I, I would, I would imagine that you would refuse to marry a gay couple. hundred percent. But that's yeah. a, but that's a political decision, isn't it? No, that's no? a, that, that's, a, that's an issue. I mean, I, I'm convinced by the scriptures that, that this is, I mean, this is not political. This is this is a tr- this is ecclesiastical. Mm. So um, that's why that's important. Okay. Well, it sounds like it sounds to me. I think this is a good place to stop. I appreciate you running down that rabbit trail with me. This is an area where I've not really done a lot of critical thinking for a long time. Not that I haven't thought critically about politics, but I've never. I haven't thought. It's been a long time since I thought critically about the the role and responsibility of governments when it comes to the uh, enforcing of Christian morality, uh, because mm-hmm. I've been a libertarian for such a long time. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you running down the rabbit trail with me. It was a helpful conversation. Let, can, can, can I just, can, can, I just don't want to be mis, misunderstood or misinterpreted. Yeah, yeah. When I said I wouldn't die for this, uh, I'm talking about like to get a, public policy passed if you're right. t- if i'm you know if a gun's to my head and i'm t- and i'm told you have to go you have to do something that goes against scripture which i'm convinced of um uh uh by my conscience and by scripture i mean i'm not moving <laughs> you right, know right, right. uh so so there there's a difference there um so i'm just talking about you know as far as political expediency and and trying to figure that stuff out yeah so but you know i'll say um, this i think that is one thing there are many things about covid that were horrible and it would have been better if it hadn't happened but in the sovereignty and grace of god there have also been some pretty great things that it's produced and i think one of them that one of those things that it's produced in me and i suspect in other christians is it has forced us to ask what does the bible say about the scope of government of power when it comes to government what's the actual role of government what's the responsibility where are the lines that we draw when we say here and no mm-hmm. further because we've not as american christians we've been very very blessed and not really had to think all that critically about it for a long time because we lived in a largely at least nominally christian nation and now we're i i'm being forced to think critically about okay how what does what does Romans thirteen actually mean practically? You know, the, beyond yeah. just the surface level reading of, of obey the governing authorities. Okay, to what point? Over what issues? Uh, and I've not had to think critically about that, and I've I've chosen not to think critically about that for a long time. And I think one thing this crisis has done is it's 
uh, forced me back into some of those biblical passages about law, government, uh, uh, morality. And I'm one of the things this conversation with you just over the past 15 minutes has done is it has affirmed for me that I need to do more sifting, praying, reading, thinking about this because my thoughts on it for the first time in a long time are very muddled. And it's because I'm not sure that I had it right before. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Thanks, Luke. Thank you, everyone. We will be off next week. And uh, yeah. Yeah, tune, tune into the other podcast that you wish you could watch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Which one's that? I don't know. Okay. By the way, you're killing it on your live reads. You're, if you didn't know, Luke's been reading our articles live, and um, that's been dude, so I much fun. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. There's a special treat coming out. I don't know if it's coming out today or in the next couple of days, but there's a special yes. treat that everyone's going to get. Luke's going to be taken to task, um, <laughs> and it, and he and I have both played a role in yes. in, in helping that happen. So yes. we're I've never, I've never, I've never been so um, intimately involved in my own public spanking. Yes. Yeah. And, and, uh, but not completely. I think, I think, no, there's no, also no. Like, you know, um, no, it, but, no, it's, it, it's, it's not a spanking. It's an excellent dialogue and there's more to come, but I'm look, I'm really looking forward. I, I agree with Eric. It's going to be good. Yeah. For, for those who think that Luke and I don't talk to people we disagree with, it's literally all we do. <laughs> <laughs> why, so, do you think, why do you think we talk to each other so much? <laughs> um, so take care. God bless you. We'll see, see you in a couple weeks. <laughs>